the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through the Gospel of John. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Tetelestai is in the perfect passive indicative tense. What does that mean? What it means is that Tetelestai literally translates, it was finished, it is finished, it will always be finished. The richness of what Jesus says there, it's kind of missing in our English language. Tetelestai means it was finished, it is finished, it will always be finished. The final words spoken by Jesus on the cross don't quite have the same meaning in English as they do in the original Greek. And today, Pastor Gary is going to take you on a little journey into the history of what Jesus actually meant by his utterance of the word to Tetelestai. When Christ laid down his life for the sins of every person, your sin included, he endured what was meant for you, and he conquered. That victory hasn't faded over time. It is still as true today as it was in the moment. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of John, chapter 19, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Here we come to the scene of the crucifixion in verse 16 of chapter 19. It says, So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. And carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And here they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. Now, by the way, John's gospel, you might note there, is the only one out of the four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John does not talk about how Simon of Cyrene was tagged by the Romans to carry Jesus' cross the rest of the way. John doesn't talk about that, but we have the benefit of the other gospels so that they all, comparatively speaking, give us the full story. And Luke's gospel tells us that Jesus speaks to the weeping women on his way to the cross. John is silent about that part as well. But he does mention here that he's taken to this place called the place of the skull. Now, most of you know this, but just in case you don't, there is an outcropping of rocks on the northern part of the city of Jerusalem today that is known as Skull Hill, uh, because that is probably likely, we don't know for sure 100%, but it is likely that this is the hill upon which Jesus may in fact have been crucified. It makes sense as far as what the Bible teaches, that it was just outside the city gates. It makes sense that it was along a major 
major thoroughfare. The Romans were very intentional about crucifying their criminals in a place where the public would pass by and see the crucifixion as a deterrent to crime. So it is just on the outside of the gate of Damascus in the northern part of Jerusalem you can go to today. It's called in Aramaic Golgotha. Uh, in Latin, is called, it is called Calvarium, which is where we get our English word Calvary. So when we talk about Calvary, Jesus was crucified on Calvary. Uh, that's just the Latin word that means skull. And so it was called again because it looks like a skull by the formation of the rocks. So Jesus is taken here and they crucify him. John is also silent about the gory details. He does not give us great details like the other gospel writers did concerning just the, the, the gory uh, facts uh, about the crucifixion. But make no mistake, just because he doesn't mention it uh, doesn't diminish it. It was torturous. It was humiliating. It was degrading. It was painful. I mean, crucifixion was invented really by the Persians about a thousand years before Christ. The Romans perfected it, though. If you can use such a word about such a, a brutal way of killing someone. Uh, but it was the most agonizing way to die. It was a slow, painful death. Uh, most people would die at the flogging before they'd even get to the crucifixion. And when they would nail you to a cross... It would put your body under such duress and such stress that most of the time people would die either from asphyxiation because your lungs would fill up with fluid and in addition you couldn't push yourself up in order to breathe and so you died a slow painful death either asphyxiation or in the case of Jesus really died of a broken heart. I mean remember when the Roman soldier went and after Jesus was already dead, and just to make sure, he pierces, he goes up under the ribcage with a spear and pierces the, the pericardium sac around the heart, and out of that flows water and blood. And, you know, really, in a sense, Jesus dies of a broken heart over his love for you and me. But, but he, he dies actually pretty quickly, comparatively speaking. Many would hang on the cross sometimes for days. Uh, Jesus is going to be dead in a matter of about six hours. Birds would come and, you know, peck out your eyes. I mean, it was just, it was, and, and a lot of times artists rendering have to try to be modest to, to display it, but more likely than not, than not, the criminals were crucified uh, without any clothing, without any kind of a loincloth or anything. So that, it, again, it was just the most humiliating, painful, torturous, barbaric way that, that somebody could die, slow and painful at that. John doesn't mention all those details. But verse 19 says that Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written, notice, in three languages, Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. Now, it's written in three languages because Aramaic was the language of the Jews. Latin was the legal language of the Roman Empire, but Greek was the common man's language. When Alexander the Great conquered the area that the Roman Empire now took over subsequent to the Greek Empire, Alexander made everybody learn Greek wherever he would conquer a territory. And so the Romans left Greek intact as kind of the common man's language because everybody spoke it. Pontius Pilate wants to make sure that everybody can read this language in the official language of the Roman Empire, in the common man's language, and in the Jewish language of Aramaic. And so he posts that sign in all three languages. And it says in verse 21, 
that the chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be king of the Jews. They didn't want Jesus to, even the sign was offensive to them. They didn't want him to be known as king of the Jews. But Pilate answered, what I've written, I've written. I mean, at this point, Pilate's just ticked off. And so he just is like, you know, look, I've done what I've done. Deal with it. That's what he's saying to them. And when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, divided them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. And this garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scriptures might be fulfilled, which said, they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. And you might notice a footnote in your Bible, Psalm twenty-two, eighteen, is where that was first prophesied and fulfilled in what is happening here with Jesus when the Roman soldiers cast lots to uh, see who's going to get this seamless woven undergarment. So when they take this, this will make Jesus now without any clothing at this point. Uh, it's a seamless woven garment. And they cast lots for it because it's a pretty expensive piece of clothing. The fact that it is seamless says something about it was, it was kind of an expensive piece of clothing. Now, I had a lady many years ago come to me and say, listen, God wants us all to be wealthy because Jesus was a wealthy man. I said, how do you figure he's a wealthy man? She goes, because he owned a garment that was seamless and it was woven in one piece from top. And she quoted this verse to me. Now, it is true that this would have been rare for him to have because it would have been an expensive garment. Okay, but listen, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus wasn't, you know, wasn't driving a Rolls and wearing a Rolex. Do you know what I'm saying to you? And so what I said to her was, listen, this is not, and so I'm telling you, this is not an indication that Jesus was wealthy and therefore we should be wealthy. What this is, is this is identifying him as the high, as a high priest for us. Because in the Bible, in Exodus chapter 28, the high priest's garment was seamless. And John presents Jesus as our high priest by that bit of information. The fact that he was wearing this seamless woven garment that we don't know where he might have gotten it from, but underneath it all, it was really speaking to the fact that he is our high priest. Well, verse 25 says, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. John is the only writer of the four Gospels who mentions this. This is a very tender exchange here. Jesus has the heart for his mother. So here stands Mary and uh, also her, her sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. You know, it's interesting. All the disciples have deserted him and fled. But the ladies, the ladies, they aren't worried and they aren't afraid. And they're right there by the cross. Now, at some point, John, the writer of the gospel, he has somehow come back here into the scene because he's present here. And Jesus in caring for his mother, turns to... Now, John doesn't use his name, all right? He writes in the third person. We've talked about this, and we're going to see it even further in tonight's study, where he's doing this humbly, but it just looks funny to me, all right? It just looks funny. But he, he is being humble about it. But yet he throws out these little things like, you know, the one disciple who was there by the cross, the one that Jesus loved. You know that guy? 
So it sounds funny to me, but I'm sure he meant it. Just, I'm going to take third person. I don't want everybody to just know I'm talking about myself. However, I was the disciple that Jesus loved. But anyway, so there he is by the cross. And Jesus, in this tender moment, look at the last thing that he does here. He takes care of his mother by entrusting her care to John. He says to her, woman, behold your son. And says to the disciple, son, behold your mother. It's like the last compassionate thing that Jesus is sure to do as he's dying on the cross is to make sure that his mother is taken care of. Because by this point, it is believed that Joseph has long died because he isn't mentioned since Jesus was 12. So otherwise, Mary would be kind of destitute without anybody to take care of her. And so Jesus then entrusts her to John. And so, and then it says, from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. So I guess the moral is, make sure you put your mom in a home. No, not really. It's John's home. It's not a home. (laughs) Verse 28. Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. All right, several things in this passage. First, first of all, this is not the time, and Mark tells us in Mark fifteen twenty three that Jesus was offered wine mixed with myrrh. A lot of times, those who were being crucified were offered an analgesic. It was something to help deaden the pain. And they were offered wine mixed with myrrh to help deaden the pain, to help numb the pain. Jesus in Mark fifteen twenty three refuses that, which is amazing because, listen, he didn't want anything to deaden the pain that he took for you and me. He didn't want anything to mask it. He took the pain for us in its entirety on our behalf. He refused that sponge that was lifted to him with wine mixed with myrrh. That was an analgesic. This is something different. This is vinegar. This is probably very old and diluted wine that he takes a sip of. Why? Because he has one final thing to say. And, and he's parched at this point, very dry mouth. He just wants one little sip because he's got one final thing to say here. And the last words that Jesus utters is, it is finished. Then it says, with that, he bows his head. And notice, and he gave up his spirit. His life was not taken from him. Jesus said back in John 10, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down that I might take it up again. He gave up his spirit. He dies a willing death for you and me. This was not taken from him. His life was given for us. When he utters here, it is finished. It is three words in our English language. It is one word in the original language of the New Testament, which is Greek. And when he uttered, it is finished, the Greek word is tetelestai. It is one word in the Greek, tetelestai. This is an interesting word. And, I, you know, these are one of these times where, do I really want to bore you with some of the Greek? But here, but this is important. You understand the tense, okay? I'm going to explain it. Tetelestai is in the perfect passive indicative tense. What does that mean? What it means is that tetelestai literally translates, it was finished, it is finished, it will always be finished. The richness of what Jesus says there, it's kind of missing in our English language. 
Tetelestai means it was finished, it is finished, it will always be finished. Now, Tetelestai was a word that was actually commonly used in other settings during this particular ancient time. When you bought something from a merchant and you received a bill of sale and you paid that bill in full, today, you know, it might be stamped paid. In those days, it was written across the bill of sale to Telestai, meaning it was paid. It is paid and will always be paid for. When you paid your taxes in these days, after you paid your taxes, it was given unto you a piece of paper written to Telestai, meaning it was paid, it is paid, it will always be paid. And listen to this. When you were a prisoner in those days, your crime was posted over your prison cell door. And when you had served your time, or when something or someone on your behalf paid the price for you, they would come along and they would put a sign over your prison door that simply said, to Telestai, meaning it was paid, it is paid, it will always be paid. Now think about this. It was common in merchants to prove that you had paid the bill of sale. We owed a debt that we could not pay. It was posted over prison cell doors when you had served your time and when your sentence had then been expunged to Telestai. We, in a similar sense, are prisoners to sin and death. And Jesus comes along and cancels the crime that was charged against us. And he says to us, it is finished, it was finished, and it will always be finished. That's what Jesus Christ has done for us. His final words here. It is finished. It's all been accomplished. In other words, by saying this, what he means is that he has satisfied the demands of God's justice, that he has appeased the wrath of God, and that he has bridged the gap between God and humanity by his sacrificial death on the cross. It is finished. You know, he had said back in John chapter 4, In verse 34, he said, my food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And now here in John 19, he's saying, it is finished. I have finished the work of the Father. I have appeased his wrath. I have satisfied the death and the judgment against us. I have bridged the gap between mankind and a holy, loving Father. And his work was completed and finished. And there is no other work necessary and no other work that could ever improve upon the finished work of Christ. What Jesus did on the cross was sufficient for all of our sins, past, present, and future. It was finished, it is finished, and it will always be finished. His last words on the cross, and then he bows his head, and he gives up his spirit. It says here, now it was the day of preparation, verse 31, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Now that, that is something that John tells us that the other Gospels don't, and I'll explain in a minute. He says, so it's a special Sabbath. Because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers, therefore, came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead... They did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. 
The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. So Passover, the feast of Passover was really an eight-day feast because it runs congruent with the Feast of Unleavened Bread on the Jewish calendar. Day one is Passover. Seven days after that is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Altogether, eight days. The day of Passover was the day that you shared the Passover meal. The next day was the first day of Unleavened Bread, and it was, as John says here, a special Sabbath. And that is true because Leviticus 23, 7 says that when God instituted the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and actually the last as well, is to be like a Sabbath day. That means that there are some days, some years rather, when the Feast of Unleavened Bread might begin the day before a regular Sabbath. Now, the regular Sabbath to a Jew even today is sundown Friday night, until sundown Saturday night. So Saturday has always been, still considered today by Jews, to be the Sabbath. I mean, it's always still been the Sabbath. But there are some years where if the Feast of Unleavened Bread begins the day before their regular Sabbath, it would be referred to, as John refers to it here, as a special Sabbath. So it is possible on certain years for you to have two Sabbath days together, the regular Sabbath, and a special Sabbath as the first day of unleavened bread. I've said this before, this is not a salvation issue. It's, it's not, you know, it's not going to be a, a matter that, that we need to argue over. But I'm not convinced that Jesus died on a Friday. I'm convinced and I'm more persuaded that Scripture presents a Thursday crucifixion. Uh, because it's pretty hard to get Jesus dead and buried by Friday night and have him three days and three nights in the tomb, and he's already up Sunday morning. It's really hard to do that math. I mean, I know you can, and I've heard all kinds of things. Well, the Jews only counted half a day, and that's nonsense. I'm telling you, it's really hard to get three days and three nights when you have him dead and in the tomb Friday night, and all of a sudden he's up by before Sunday morning. So again, it's not a salvation issue. The only important thing is Jesus died. That's a salvation issue. He died for our sins, whether it's a Friday or Thursday doesn't really matter, but I only say it because I think that's the reason why we read it this way. It's a special Sabbath. There's two Sabbaths together. That's why then they put him in the grave, I believe, Thursday night. Now you have Friday is a special Sabbath. Saturday is the regular Sabbath. So the first day that the women could go to the tomb to embalm his body was Sunday morning. And that makes better sense in terms of the math. But again, it's not debatable. You can believe Friday and be wrong if you want. But anyhow, uh, but, but as he says it here, I'm just totally kidding. But as he, not really. And then he says in verse, but then verse 38, it says, Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Jesus, uh, rather, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away, and he was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, here's a description. There was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, 
they lay Jesus there. Now, that tells us a little bit about the tomb, but before I get to that, first, this introduction here to Joseph of Arimathea. He asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Uh, in, in Matthew's gospel, it tells us that Joseph of Arimathea was a rich man, and so likely this is his private garden tomb, and he had to be rich to have all that this describes. The Gospel of John is an interesting take on the life of Jesus. He was absolutely a man who experienced things as a human, but he's also God. And so because of that, he's able to do things that are unthinkable to the average human. But it's clear to see through this book that Jesus is anything but average. He's the Son of God. Are you interested in knowing more about Jesus and what He's done for you? Perhaps you'd like some prayer support in what you're learning or growing in. If so, please email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? We'd like to invite you to come join us this Sunday for a time of worship, Bible study, and fellowship at Cornerstone Chapel. You can find out service times and other information when you visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll also find previous messages from Pastor Gary and even download our mobile app. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for tuning in and hearing some things from the book of John that may be life-altering for you. We look forward to you joining us again for our next edition here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone Real love is calling Listen, truth opens up your eyes General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.